And uh, this is God's word to you because he is your loving father. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this, uh, just how wide open uh, this promise, this invitation is uh, in the Sermon on the Mount to ask, to pray, to make our needs known to our Father. Lord, I pray that you would uh, take these words and um, uh, your holy word, your perfect word, and through a a flawed and perfect teacher, you would communicate uh, the good news, the hope, the grace that is in these words. And I pray that by your spirit you would come and you would teach to each individual life that is sitting here and apply your word into their lives. Draw us to repentance and to faith uh, in our loving God. And so, uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So uh, these final two weeks that we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be looking at a couple passages, kind of summary passages of the Sermon on the Mount. They kind of uh, wrap up everything that we've been talking about. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for uh, about four months now, and uh, we've covered all kinds of topics, and um, as far as this passage goes that we're looking at, I think that one way to look at it is kind of um, through a string of teaching that Jesus has been giving, this is kind of the, the capstone of all that teaching, and a lot of the teaching has kind of uh, had a negative message to it, and this is kind of the positive um, ending, the positive climax to it, and um, what I mean by negative message is that, you know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus has been giving us all kinds of warnings um, about things to avoid in our life and and, uh, thoughts for us to avoid in our life. So, you know, early on he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not, you know, don't think that. Uh, You know, or you've heard that it said if uh, you shall not murder, but I say to you, you shouldn't even be angry with your brother. Or uh, you've heard that it was written, uh, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, uh, don't even uh, look after a woman lustfully. And, uh, you know, don't, don't make vows, and uh, don't, don't return evil for evil, and don't be like the hypocrites, and, you know, show off when you're giving things away, and when you're praying, and, um, and when you're fasting, and don't store up uh, treasures in heaven, and uh, don't be anxious. Last week it says, don't judge others. So there's this, this that's what I mean by a negative message, is kind of telling us all these pitfalls in uh, kingdom life, in, in uh, life in God's kingdom, uh, pitfalls as, as followers of, uh, of Christ. And so these things to avoid, they're warning, so it's kind of a negative message. And so at the end of this, um, um, in, in, you know, next week we're going to kind of uh, get a little bit of a summary of what I think Jesus intends by all these warnings and things that he's warning us against. But I think um, that um, as Jesus catalogs all these things for us in the sermon... Um, these pitfalls, 
he leads us now at the end to a simple vision. Okay, if these are all the things we're supposed to avoid, these are all the warnings, what's a, a positive picture? What is a Christian like? If it's not that, what is it then, positively? And here in just these little verses, these six verses I just read, I think we get a succinct picture of positively of what the Christian life is all about. Summed up very succinctly. What is the Christian life all about? And as Jesus summarizes the Christian life for us of being his disciple, of following him, uh, there's two simple things that he says it's about. That first of all, the Christian life is the experience of receiving grace. It begins with the experience of receiving grace. And second, following that, which comes out of that, is the act of giving love. If you're going to summarize what does it mean to be a Christian, it means to receive the experience of receiving grace that is followed by the act of giving love. And um, in, in that order. And so this morning, I just want to meditate on each of these kind of two legs of the Christian life, receiving grace and giving love. And, uh, and what they mean for us as a church and as a community. So the first thing is the experience of receiving grace. And um, I think that what Jesus gives us in these, um, in these pictures is a very liberal kind of picture of um, God the Father's generosity. That he is just um, giving, pouring. Um, it, uh, God is open-handed. He just wants to hand out grace. He says, come, ask, and you, I'll, you'll give it. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. And then he repeats it. He says, uh, whoever asks is going to receive, and the one who seeks is going to find. He's just saying, God wants to give. He's a good father. And so as we ask this question, how, okay, if the beginning of the Christian life is to experience um, rece- the receiving of grace, how do I experience that? How can I experience receiving grace in my life? And uh, a couple things that Jesus says is that the first thing is simply through asking. Asking. And Jesus kind of has this re- repetitive pattern, right, where he's hammering home to us. Like, maybe this is the most important teaching on prayer and experiencing God, God's grace in your life is summed up in this one word of ask, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He's, he's, he's pounding it into us. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open to him. Uh, be open. Um, Jesus says, if you want God to work and to show up in your life, to show, uh, to show his grace, to show his power, then ask him to. Ask him specifically what you want him to do. And, um, and Jesus actually, he, he doesn't even specify what you're supposed to ask him for. Actually, in Luke's version of this, he's a little more clear where he says, uh, you know, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, then God will give the Holy Spirit to you. And there's probably some sense of, of that the Jesus is saying, if it, you, know, all the, you know, when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, man, I need a lot of help to live like this. He's saying if you ask for God's help, he's going to give it to you. But, but Jesus actually doesn't do that. He, it's very open-ended. He's, anything you need, whatever your needs are, he's a father. Go to him, and he's not going to hold back good gifts from you. He wants to give you good gifts. And he says that the, pic, the picture of asking is very simple, right? It's, you know... He talks about it's like a father. You know, what father among you, if your child asks for some bread, you're going to give him a stone? He says, asking God for his grace is like, you know, one of my kids coming and asking for cereal or, you know, toast. Can I, I'm hungry. Can I have some toast? And, you know, if a child can do that, then that's what we can do to God. That's kind of the picture. It's so simple. And, um, but the thing is that for the majority of us, the simple act of asking God for his grace and provision in our lives is extremely difficult. And it's, it's often entirely absent from our lives. 
The simple, I'm going to ask God. I'm going to actually verbalize and say to him, these are what my needs are. And uh, Dale Bruner, who's, he's, a, he's written a great commentary on Matthew, and um, I've quoted him a number of times. This is, what he, this is what he says about this passage. The irony is that we carry around heavy bundles of wishes that never become asks, askings. We have all kinds of wishes that never actually turn into us verbalizing to God, this is what we want. It never happens. We talk to ourselves about our problems in the form of much thought, worry, and sleeplessness. We might talk about our problems with those close to us too, but even we Christians are strangely reluctant to talk about our problems with the Father. We are strangely reluctant to talk about our problems with the Father. Here Jesus opens the doors of faith as widely as they will ever be opened again and promises a fruitful audience with the Father for the simple asking. And uh, he says we are reluctant to ask God for his grace. And, um, you know, I, we might just take a moment to, you might think about where are those things that you're talking to yourself a lot through much thought. You're talking maybe even through sleeplessness. Maybe you're talking a lot to other people about things that are happening in your life. Have you spoken to God about those things? Is he your counselor? Is he your provider? Have you gone to him and asked him, what are those things in your life? What is that big thing that is burdening you, that is piled on you, um, that has never turned into an asking? And I think that the reason that we're reluctant uh, to ask God is ultimately because we think that he's reluctant to give. The reason we're reluctant to ask is because we think he's holding on, to his, he's holding on tight to his blessings. And we gotta, if we're going to ask, it's going to be some, I'm going to have to do some serious deep praying where I'm going to have to pry um, these blessings out of his hands with my spiritual powers or something like that. Um, and uh, we think that he's unlikely to open his hand. And I think that part of the reason is that is that we think that the problem is us. You know, why would God, God's not going to give open-handedly to me. I don't deserve any of that. I haven't been praying enough. I haven't been reading my Bible enough. I haven't been thinking about him enough. He's not going to, how can, you know, i got to get all that stuff figured out. Then I'm sure he'll start um, opening his hand to me and giving me all these things. We think that we don't deserve it, and so God's holding back his, his grace and blessings. But look at these words from Jesus. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone, he's, he's just blowing it wide open. Anyone who comes to the Father, he, he's eager to give. And actually, a lot of commentators are saying, you know, Jesus seems pretty wide here that he might even be talking about people who aren't Christians. If they just come and ask God, if they'll come and ask God, he's going to give them to them. And actually, God does that. God gives good gifts to people whether they love him or not or if they're in rebellion against him. He's willing to give good gifts. He wants to. He's a good father. And then, um, and even more than that, uh, it's not just because uh, Jesus says that the Father's going to give to everyone because they're a bunch of great people. You know, we get this little glimpse in, uh, in, in this passage of Jesus' view of us and humanity. This is what he says, verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... <laughs> Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father? So Jesus says, even if you're, you know, this is how Jesus views us, who he's inviting to come pray. He says, listen, you, even if you're a good parent and you provide for your kids as well, you're still evil. <laughs> and so he's inviting all these evil people and say, even if you're evil, the father says, come and you will receive. And so um, despite um, all of, of our, the things that should be an obstacle from God giving to us, God gives liberally. Wherever we are in life, he is eager to give. And, and let me just tell you, uh, this, 
this is exactly how I, I became a Christian. Uh, you know, some of you will know uh, some of my story that I've shared before, but, um, I, you know, as a teenager, I was in a lot of troubles on drugs. I dropped out of school and uh, left home, and my parents had me picked up in the middle of the night one night, and I was sent off to this uh, new age behavioral modification program on a little island called Western Samoa for a year and a half. And I was, uh, I was in this boys program with 300 other kids who were trying to get in touch with their magical child and they were doing push-ups all day and things. And, uh, and basically there was this program that says, listen, if you want to go home, you've got to change your life. You've got to be a leader. You've got to be outgoing. You've got to be loving. You've got to be hardworking. You've got to be honest. You've got to be all these things. And you don't get, you're not here for any definite amount of time. You can only go home when you've changed your life. And we'll be the judges of whether you've done that. So here I am, I'm this, I'm this punk, you know, stoner kid that's sleeping on the floor in this hut in Western Samoa, and I got rashes all over my body, and I don't, I'm washing my own clothes by hand. I'm depressed, I'm miserable, and I, I've never been to church in my life. I knew nothing. I didn't, I, I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know anything. And I had a friend who was a Christian. He said, you know, you, you, why don't you try praying? See what happens. And so I remember one morning, I remember I was rolling at 6 in the morning. I got woken up by a whistle, and I was rolling up my, uh, my um, sleeping bag. We slept on the floor. And I said to God, I don't know who you are. I didn't even believe that you existed for most of my life. But I'm going to go into my day, and I'm just going to believe that you're going to do something because I can't be who they want me to be. So I'm just going to trust that you're going to do something. I don't know what it is. And it was very clear to me that God answered those prayers. He, I'd make a new friend. I'd be laughing, you know, uh, with people. I was more joyful. I'd have people all of a sudden start saying to me, hey, I see you doing really well. It seems like you're, you're, you're really, you should go up in the levels. You should, you should, you're getting closer to going home. i say, what? When is that happening? It was very clear that the Father heard my prayer. And I, I didn't know him. I, I had nothing to offer him. I'm just this punk kid, and he was eager to hear, and he was eager to give, and he was eager to respond. And if, if that's true for some punk kid who's not even a Christian yet, how much more true is that for us as believers who love God? We love his word. We want to grow. And with all the problems and all the ways that we fall short, he wants you to come as you are to him. And uh, actually, I, I, prit, I, I put a... Uh, uh, in, on page three of your bulletin, a, um, a quote from Paul Miller. Paul Miller's written a great book on prayer called The Praying Life. And uh, this is what he says. Why is it so important to come to God just as you are? If you don't, then you are artificial and unreal like the Pharisees. Rarely did they tell Jesus directly what they were thinking. The only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual mask. The real you has to re meet the real God. He is a person. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with a wandering mind. Come messy. Instead of being frozen by your self-preoccupation, talk with God about your worries. Tell him where you are weary. If you don't begin with where you are, then uh, where you are will sneak in the back door. Your mind will wander to where you are weary. So he's talking about when you're praying. Your mind's going to go to the things that are burning you. So just talk to God about them. In bringing your real self to Jesus, you give him the opportunity to work on the real you, and you will slowly change. So um, we, how do we experience receiving grace from our Father, it is to begin by that simple act of asking. 
telling him the things that are burdening us, transforming wishes into askings, as Bruner said, okay? But um, as much as we think that uh, part of the obstacle for God blessing us is, you know, our sin and our shortcomings, that he's not going to be open-handed with, with me and us, I think that the other, uh, the other side of that is, the other obstacle to asking is, uh, is not just our character, but we also doubt God's character. So the second way that we experience uh, God's grace is through his promise. Through his promise. And, um, uh, you know, the emphasis really on this passage is on the character of God. So you see that, uh, read this again in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And so... um, what Jesus is emphasizing is how should I view God? That's the big thing. You know, a, a lot of times in many uh, kind of Christian circles, when uh, teaching is happening about prayer, a lot of emphasis is put on our believing. Is if I really believe that he's, I'm going to get what I asked for, then maybe I'll get it. And I've got to say it over and over again. And if I say it over and again until I really believe it, then maybe God will give us. And, and Jesus doesn't put the emphasis on me stirring up faith and stirring up this emotion of believing. He puts the emphasis on the person that, that we're asking He's, the, the emphasis on the character of God, and he says, look it, you know, you guys are evil, and you give good gifts to your children. When they ask you for bread, you know, you, you give them what they ask for, and you, you, you pour blessings on them. If you're evil and you do that, how much more God who's good? Everything that we consider good in the world, every character that you see good in people and in creation, God is all of those things. How much more is he going to give good gifts to you if you ask him? And... Um, you know, think of the kindest father that you know. The, you know, the godliest person who's patient and kind and warm and, and approachable and all those things. That person, you say, wow, that's just a beautiful life right there. That's just a hint, a taste of the character of God that we're coming to. And so the emphasis on what God is like is what draws us to experience grace and to, and to make, bring our burdens to him and come to him as we really are. Um, because, um, I, you know, I think for many people, uh, they say that the reason that they don't pray is because they, you know, they've tried it. I tried prayer once, and it didn't work. And, uh, you know, and oftentimes that happens, you know, when someone, they don't pray about anything that's happened. There's all kinds of stresses and burdens, and then finally there is the crisis of their life. The, the giant, you know, crisis is going to be the hardest thing they've ever gone through and say, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put God to it, I'm going to try to pray. And, uh, and the issue is that people who have this as a habit of their life, to ask God, to ask and receive, this is just the normal habit of their life, that they go to their father and make their needs known to him. What you'll find, I, I think almost everyone that I've talked to who has a, a regular habit, and I've seen this in my own life, is that it's God's normal habit to answer our prayers. The normal things that happens is generally he answers them. He gives, he gives what we need. Now, it may not be in the timing that we want. But if you keep track of them and you ask him, you will find again and again and again, God is going to be responsive. And so there are going to come times where this unique time where there's going to be a major trial, where you're really going to have to trust God and you're really going to be tested. But what you need is you need this whole track record where God has made good on his promise. And, and I've seen, listen, he's answered prayer. He's been for there. He's provided for us financially. He's, uh, he, he's he saw us through this, this illness. He, um, he mended this relationship. He's done all these things. I've seen him, and now, in this confusing time, I can trust him. Um, and if this becomes a habit of our life, I, I assure you, you will find 
that God's character is open-handed, is generous. He loves you. He loves, he loves his children. And, um, and I think, you know, we might say, wow, this is an awful big promise. You know, Jesus is saying, whatever you ask for, you're going to receive. You know, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find. And th- there's no conditions on it. There's one little condition, I would say, in this passage. And the condition is that it does say that the Father gives good things. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The only condition is that because the Father loves you, he will only give you good things, only good things that are good for you. And so, you know, you think, you know, sometimes you hear about, um, you know, in maybe uh, more impoverished parts of the country where, you know, you might have a mom who's putting Coca-Cola in a a, um, baby bottle and giving Coke to her baby to get him to stop crying. And you might say, well, the, the baby likes it. The baby likes the Coca-Cola, but this is, you know, terrible for the baby's health. And oftentimes the things that we want from God are kind of like a baby wanting Coke. Yeah, it'll get me caught. It tastes good, and uh, it'll get me to stop crying, but it's absolutely terrible for, my, for our health. And we often don't know what those things are. And so the only limitation is that God is committed to giving good things to us. But if we are asking him for, for good things, his hand will be open to us. And... Um, as this becomes the habit of your life, is to simply ask. The summary of the Christian life is to ask my Father for my needs and to see that he does not deal with me according to my sin, but he deals with me according to his steadfast love and faithfulness in Christ. When I see that, and I see, wow, he, he's not reluctant to give to me. He didn't hold all the sin and all my shortcomings that I brought to that prayer against me. He wasn't waiting to pounce on me. He was eager to give. That's what he wanted. He wanted me to come desperate and as I, as I am as a sinner. When you see God like that, um, you will have this security in the Father's love and provision for you that will enable you. It, it will give you the emotional and the spiritual resources to then go and love other people. And it's first that when we encounter and experience God's grace, it gives us the resources that we can go to the second part of the Christian life. The first part is, is to experience the grace of God in Christ. The second part is that as we respond, as we receive that grace and see what God, the Father's like, is we become like him. And the second half of the Christian life is the act of giving love. Giving love. So the, this is the summary of the Christian life. You experience grace. And then you give love. And uh, you'll see there in verse 12 that it begins with the word so, right? So uh, Jesus says this stuff about asking and your father wants to give good gifts to you. And then he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So why is this so there? You know, therefore, therefore, based on what I just said, now I'm going to say this. What's the connection between asking the father and he's going to give generously to you and uh, Whatever you wish others would do for you, do to them. What's the connection? Um, Somehow Jesus connects praying and receiving grace uh, to loving other people. Praying and receiving grace to loving other people. They're connected in Jesus' mind. And, um, uh, you know, one, I, I think one connection could be that as you have wishes in your life, Jesus is saying, there's two things. There's things that I long for in my life. What do you do with that? There's two things. First thing, you tell it to the Father. The second thing, the things you wish for, do them for other people. So as I have these burdens of things that I long for in my life, I have two responses. I tell it to the Father that he'd provide for me, and I do it for other people. But also, more than that, I think that Jesus understands that experiencing grace is a prerequisite for loving other people. 
It's only when you've experienced grace that it actually transforms you and softens your heart so that you're going to be patient and kind and generous and compassionate towards other people. It gives you the heart to love other people. And, um, and that's why I think the proportion in this passage, if you take these six verses as kind of a summary, here's a picture of the Christian life, I think the proportion is about right. The first five verses are about God's generosity to us. His pouring out, you know, come and ask. I'm a good father. I'm going to give you good gifts. The doors are wide open. My hands are wide open. I'm giving out five verses of that to one verse of now you go and love other people. And I think that's the proportion of our life. Is It's far more about God pouring on us and then we respond with love. And uh, in many of, you know, you read the New Testament, many of the Paul's letters are that way. He just goes on and on, chapter of ch- chapters and chapters. You know, it takes, uh, in the book of Romans, 11 chapters of God's work and grace in our life. And then, therefore, in chapter 12, he does, you know, these final, final three, ver- three chapters or so on this is how you respond and this is how you give your life to God and this is how you serve God. And so the proportion is about right, that we, that we largely experience grace, but what it produces in us is a desire to love others. And uh, so, um, our natural response is love. And um, as we look at this little verse, this little golden rule that Jesus gives, um, uh, our, Lord, um, our Lord gives us a few things about describing love and what it's like. And a love in the Christian life. And the first thing is that, that love is simple. Okay, loving other people is simple. You know, when you think of, you know, obeying God and the religious life, it, oftentimes we think of it as just this pile of duties and things that we have to do that's just overwhelming and weighing on us. And here, as he summarizes positively what the Christian life looks like, it's a verse. It's, it's very simple. And um, in, in the ancient world, it, it would have been very common to, you know, have... Uh, sages and rabbis and um, philosophers who would instruct kind of disciples and, you know, common people like us about this is how you live a righteous life and these are the things that you need to do and they lay it all out for you. And one of the things that's interesting here is that Jesus gives very little instruction to us. He tells us specifically, he doesn't tell us specifically what to do. He actually wants us to figure it out. He gives us kind of this rule of thumb about how to love people well and he's not going to flesh out. It's just a verse. He just gives us one verse on how to love people. And it's, uh, it's, not, it's very simple, but it's profound. And let me just say, um, you know, a place as we think about applying this verse in our, in our church, right? Because, um, you know, many of you, many of us come to this community and we have lots of expectations. Things that we're um, hoping for from this community, longing for, wanting, expecting from the other people here. You know, some, some say, you know, I expect to be welcomed here. I expect for someone to reach out to me and, and uh, ask me how I'm doing and uh, welcome me and build relationships with me. I, I, I want people to come and ask me about my life and what's happening and to pray for the burdens that are happening in my life. I, you know, I expect or hope that someone would open their home and invite me to their home and share a meal with them. And uh, let me just say that these are all good expectations. You should have expectations of that, of a church and of God's people. And, uh, you know, our church, we're... You know, somewhere between zero and 100% effective in doing those things. You know, we're somewhere in there, I, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's right to long for those things. But one of the things that Jesus says is we have those wishes. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do, on, uh, do also to them. And so as we come in here and say, gosh, there are more things that I want from this community, the first thing is to say, okay, then Jesus called me to do that. Do that for others. I want someone to welcome me in this church. Then I'm going I'm to open my eyes and I'll look around. Who's not being welcomed here? 
Um, I long for someone to invite me to their home. Who needs to be invited to a home here? And our wishes become a trigger for loving other people. And they instruct us in how to love other people, our longings, our wishes, our desires. And uh, this is uh, vital for any church to develop. It's just vital that we develop that kind of culture in our church, that we're, that we're acting and serving that way, that this rule is kind of guiding us. Um, but also, you know, you note that Jesus says here, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So he doesn't say, listen, oh, you're being selfish and you want other people to serve you and to care for you. You should go care for other people. He doesn't say that. No, he says, you've got to hold on to that. You do need people to love you. You do need, so, but also do to them. On top of your desire for, it, for yourself, give that, uh, go and serve other people and love other people in that way. Um, but uh, since, uh, you know, we don't have some sage rabbi teacher who's uh, laying out for us, these are all the things that you need to do in order to be righteous. All we're getting is this verse, you know, what you wish other people to do, you do also for them. We're getting this verse. What that means is that uh, part of the responsibility that we bring to this passage is uh, a a tremendous amount of imagination. Jesus is demanding of us creativity, that we're going to have to bring creativity. How do we serve God? How do we respond to his grace? Is something that we're going to have to think through. And that's the second thing about love, is that love is an art form. Love is simple, but also love is an art form. It's a craft. It's a skill. To be able to love other people is a skill. And um, in any kind of art form or craft, you know, great artists... They always have these little rules of thumb about how they do their craft. You know, say, oh, you, uh, um, I don't know if you're a woodworker. Uh, Ryan probably knows he's got some good rules of thumb. You know, do this, and this is going to work better. And I, I'm, I'm terrible with wood, so I, I, wish I, ha- I wish I had even one rule of thumb to tell you about uh, cutting wood or working with wood, but I don't. Um, but actually, I, was, uh, there was, I saw a website this week, um, it, which was a, a list of... Um, uh, 22 kind of little bits of wisdom uh, by one of the story, uh, storyboard artists at Pixar. And here's little, it was these 22 tips about how to write a good story. And there are all these just rules of thumb to guide uh, people who are writing stories. Uh, this is one of them, where she says, pull apart the stories you like. What you like in them is a part of you. You've got to recognize it before you can use it. She says, Go to other stories you like, pull them apart, and what you like in those stories, those are the things that you should put in, into your stories. That's a part of you that should be coming out of you. And it's actually very similar to Jesus' calling. If you want to love others well, you have to be a student of yourself. What are my longings? What are my wishes? What are my desires? I have to study myself. Whatever you wish others to do to you, you should also do to them. And, um, you know, another part of artwork is artwork always has to embrace obstacles. Artwork always has to brace obstacles. So, for, you know, Shakespeare, when he's writing his sonnets, he has this specific meter. Every line has to have this many syllables in it, and it has to follow this certain meter. So it's very restrictive. And uh, it's interesting. I, I read a, a book on architecture a couple of years ago, and uh, it was a little book on it's like 101 things I, I should have learned in architectural school or something like that. And one of the things this guy's talking about doing architecture is that oftentimes architects... They'll come in to, to do some building, and they say, oh, you know, there's all these codes 
that I have to follow. I have to have bathrooms in certain places and stairwells and fire exits. And I have, and it's so cramping to my creative style. And I want to just be creative and come up with ideas. But, you know, there's all these restrictions on me. And there's financial restrictions and, and material restrictions. And one of the, the things that this guy says, who's been an architect uh, all his life, is he says, in order to be a good architect, in order to be a good artist, you have to embrace the obstacles. And he says that actually the, the creativity of your design is in the obstacles. It's in those bathrooms that have to be somewhere or that storage closet that has to be somewhere that you think is unimportant. Actually, the, the, the brilliance of your design is in the obstacle. And so don't run away from them. Embrace them. And actually, I think that that's true in relationships and loving other people. Because we have all kinds of relational obstacles with each other, right? You meet people and you say, wow, you know, they're, maybe they're kind of cold or they... You know, they're arrogant, or they're uh, brash, or they're too quiet. or they're, And we have all these things that are kind of off-putting to us, and we think these are obstacles in order to coming near to people. And I think in any artist is going to say, actually, whatever that obstacle is, that's probably the piece where I'm going to find the most profound intimacy. There's something happening there. And instead of running away and saying, gosh, that's so limiting, actually uh, moving close to that. And this, this is actually true. You know, oftentimes when, we, when someone's, you know, cold towards us, uh, when uh, they, they react strangely to us, they react in a harsh way to us, oftentimes we're, you know, their life is a story. And they have, you know, maybe they have a dad who, who was harsh towards them. And, and all of a sudden, they're projecting on us their feelings that they have towards their dad. And we don't even know that. We just said hey to them or we were, you know, we... We're working with them or something. We didn't, we didn't even know that we were playing this role in this, the story of their life. And, and all of a sudden, um, we're, we're um, a character in this big drama. And what we're called to do is actually embrace that role. Okay, you've put me in that role. Well, I'm going to respond differently than your dad did. And I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to subvert the character that you've made me into. You've made me into this role in your life. Now I'm going to subvert it. And, I, and it's going to have this transformative effect. And actually, if I'm playing that role about your dad in your life, that means I'm already way, way down deep in your soul. How did I get there? I, didn't even th- I thought I was really distant. But actually, I'm already connecting on things that are really profound and close to you. And it's when we embrace those and say, gosh, I'm going to have to be creative. I'm going to have to work around this obstacle and work with this obstacle, and actually the intimacy is in this obstacle. So I, I can't run away from it. And this is the same way, uh, that's how art, artwork is. That's how great artists are. That's the skill of artwork. And that's the skill of love that Jesus is teaching us here. What you wish others to do to you, do to them also. Okay? But the last thing that we see about love is that love is the essence of God's character. Love is the essence of God's character. And uh, Jesus says here that, you know, he gives this little rule of thumb, what you wish others to do to you, do also for them. But then he says this, for this is the law and the prophets. This is, I'm summarizing for you the law and the prophets. And uh, the law and the prophets in the scriptures are, are basically a revelation of God's character. This is God showing to us what he's like in his law and his commands and even in the acts that he's done throughout history. He's revealing this is who God is. And so uh, Jesus, um, uh, and, and actually, that's very similar to what we are. You know, the Bible says that we are all made in the image of God, which means that we're basically angled mirrors. What we were meant for is we're supposed to know God, and then we reflect to the world around us, this is what God's character is like. And so, um, so the Law and the Prophets instruct, this is what it is to be human. And uh, it is to, uh, it, this is how you reflect God's character, is what the Law and the Prophets uh, uh, show us. But um, 
one of the reasons that we know that, that we can see that this is a climactic statement in the Sermon on the Mount is because this little statement, for this is the law and the prophets, is an echo of something that Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I did not come to abolish them. So there's the law and the prophets at the beginning and law and the prophets at the end. And Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. I'm the fulfillment. Of the, I'm the thing that they've been, they've been pointing to. I'm the ending of the story that they've been writing. And now he says that love is the summary of the law and the prophets. What does that tell us? It tells us that this description of love is a description of Christ himself. This description of love is a description of Christ. Whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them. Because what did God uh, wish that we would do for him? What did God wish that we would do for him? He wished that we would serve him, right? And what does Jesus do? He comes and he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What God wished that we would do for him, he did for us also. Uh, God, uh, God wants us to give our lives to him. Jesus came and gave his life for us. Um, God wants us to lift him up and exalt him as king over, uh, over all creation. What did he do? He came and he lifted us up out of sin and gave us new life and raised us up. He came under us in order to lift us up with him in the resurrection. And this is exactly where grace and love come together. The giver of grace is love himself. The giver of grace is love himself. And um, when we know him, when we become like him, the Christian life is not this list of rules and burdens. It is this, this um, uh, transformation that we become like the Savior Jesus. So let me just say, if you're here today and you're asking the question, how do I become a loving person? How do I become someone that, that pours into others, that can move close to other people? I, I see in myself that I'm, I'm selfish I'm petty, I'm bitter towards other people, I, I judge other people, I tear other people down. Maybe all these things in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I see all these things every week, I'm seeing them in myself. What do I do about that? Before you ask that question, how can I be a loving person, you need to ask a deeper question. Have I experienced grace? Have I experienced the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus? Have I known that I don't deserve God's love and acceptance because I've lived in rebellion against him? But Jesus has paid the penalty for my rebellion, and he died on the cross. He paid the debt for my sin. It's been paid in full. And in him, I can know God as a loving father. And I can go with any need, like a child going and asking for a cereal or a granola bar. That's, that's what I can ask. That's how, I, how intimate and close I can talk to God, is because he wants to give me good, uh, good gifts. If you don't know that truth, uh, let me just invite you today to believe. Repent and believe to call on his name this very day and your life will never be the same. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray that you would teach us to be a people that come to our Father simply asking and trusting in his loving character. Um, we pray that your spirit would come and move our hearts to draw close to you. And we thank you for the good news of the gospel that uh, Jesus is the one who fulfills the law and the prophets. Jesus is love himself. And we thank you that even in this uh, command, you have done this for us. What you wish we would do for you, you came and do have done for us first. Teach us to respond with worship, with love, with obedience. And we ask this 
In the name of our Savior Jesus, amen.